What does Black History Month mean to you? It just feels really nice that we have a whole month that can really represent us. And even though I feel like Black history is just like everyone else's history, it's American history. I think it's very impactful that we have a whole month to really like dive deep into our history. I think Black History Month is a time of acknowledgement and a celebration of those who may not be recognized the other 11 months. I feel like it brings out that, you know, that flair that black people bring to the world. I mean, like when it comes to hip hop, when it comes to like things like acrobatics, like so many different things, like I feel like it just brings acknowledgement towards the black community and everything they've done to inspire other parts of the world, whether we're recognized those 11 other months or not. I feel like February is the month where we can really thrive and, you know, accept who we are as, as a people together. What does Black History Month mean to you? Black History Month is a time to reflect on the accomplishments and achievements of um, African Americans. I don't think it's a special month, but I think that those accomplishments should be celebrated year round. I always love the phrase Black History is American History But uh, we should definitely take that time during the month to celebrate specifically the achievements of African-Americans. At the time of recording this, it's Black History Month at Charlotte Country Day, a month to celebrate and acknowledge the triumphant history of Black people and how we came to be where we stand today. Embellishing pride and overcoming prejudice, I welcome you to the show Pride and Prejudice. I'm your host, BK, and on this show, we dive deep into Black history and what makes Black History Month so significant. Do stay tuned as we'll be right back with your favorite history teacher, Dr. Evan Destin. Joining us today is Dr. Evan Destin. He's a well-known history teacher at Country Day who's been teaching for 17 years. He's also a professor, a professional writer, a BSU representative, and a father. He teaches a wide range of history, including Black history. He's going to be sharing with us his experience as a Black history teacher and what teaching Black history means to him. Thank you so much for joining us here in the Belt Learning Center Recording Studio. Yay, thanks, VK. I'm happy to be here. What responsibilities do you think you hold as a Black history teacher? Oh. I think a a large or a huge responsibility, you know, when you think about our school, uh, and it's not a secret, we are a predominantly white you know, institution. And you can imagine students who, um, students of color who come up to a school like this, um, hoping to have content, um, a curriculum that reflects them. Um, there's always a hope that they could see more. And there are students who don't get that simply because um, you know, they're not seeing other students, they're not seeing teachers that also reflect their sort of history. And, and, and by virtue of just having to be someone who is just not someone of a person of color, you know, you're not really going to get that sort of history through teaching sometimes. And so to know that by the time they come to my class, uh, where I'm teaching African-American history, um, you can imagine that they're seniors by then, you know, and so the weight of all those years has to be kind of basically trunked down into a semester long course um, with the hope that whatever they get is going to sustain them in going into college and being prepared for college. You can only imagine people go to college and had not known who uh, George Washington Carver is or like a, even a Frederick Douglass, you know, uh, some do know, but 
it, it's, it's a pretty daunting thing to know for students that are going to go out into the world that way. And for a teacher, you know, I feel the responsibility is pretty, pretty, pretty huge. Since people only have a semester to learn Black history, what's one thing prioritized that you make sure kids in your class like know or learn? Now, I should say that um, it's not like students don't get Black history in other classes. They just have it, that an African-American history class is a class that's dedicated to that part of history. And so what you have is that um, you do have that teaching happening. But um, when it comes to um, a class that's dedicated to it, what's prioritized is the opportunity to feel what it would be if you were a student in somewhat of like an HBCU, a historically black college setting, where what would it mean to be in a class that's predominantly of people who look like you or um, to hear that all the materials are of people who are of Black origin, to hear visitors and, and guest speakers who we bring into the class who are also of Black you know, descent, um, to have you or has a, to have a person of color speak to each other about some of the ideas and some of the commonalities that they share of just being someone who identified as someone who is of color. To have that in one space is a very rare thing to happen in a, you know, in a society like America, um, because you can't legally um, say a class has to be black, right? So it, it, it's more of a natural phenomenon of having to say a historic, you know, like a, a class that happens to be predominantly black. And if you can be in a space like that, that's wonderful if you've not had it before. But, um, but it's really out of rare, like kind of luck to really kind of be in a space where predominantly people would show up because there's no law that says that you have to make classes only black people. So when that all comes together, you can imagine that um, prioritizing that space, the magic that it brings is really what people are going to want to kind of feel and kind of hope that they can sustain for as long as we can keep it. I definitely agree with that. Um, I think having a safe space at uh, PWI is very important for like people of color. And yeah, I agree. What was one of the most sensitive topics you talked about in your Black History class? I think when we got into the topic of of skin color, of colorism, um, so um, colorism cuts deep in um, any any group of one ethnicity or race, right? So what colorism is is the difference is the discrimination within in groups, right? So people who are of the same race who have differences in between them who dislike or discriminate against one another because of, you know, because of differences that they have. For example, you know, um, you can find this even just in not just simply black people or to light skin, dark skin. You can find this also in people who are, um, who will be identified as white, who have red hair, blue eyes, right? And then they're discriminated based on that. Like, oh, you're the red hair, you know, person, or you're the tall person, right? Right. Th those are random features that often um, really relate to this in-group discussions and in-group differences that they have with each other that they kind of use to put down one another. And when that happens within um, in any group, um, you're certainly going to have dynamics that are based on race, but on an, in, on an internal level. So in class, you can imagine that a class is predominantly black. Um, you have people of different skin colors. Yeah. Right. So you can have light skin, dark skin, you have mixed, you have people who um, don't identify as black, who are multiracial. So when we get into a topic that raises, you know, the issue of how black women are not light or like you're, you're too light. You might as well be considered white uh. or 
why don't you identify as black? Why do you identify as multiracial? Do you deny your blackness? Right. So those become dicey conversations only because at the surface, it seems that they, these arguments have teeth because people have experienced them and experienced what these words have done to them. But then what's required from a teacher or someone who can facilitate is a conversation about the meaning of race, the meaning of racism, meaning of colorism. And when you have that setting, then you can have a room where you can finally see that these differences really are not strong differences. They just happen to be things used to make someone feel inferior versus make someone feel the superior. So if we can kind of tease those out and kind of talk more openly, we can realize that it actually is used, colorism is it's a way of driving differences rather than kind of bringing people together. So those, those that becomes pretty, pretty, um, I, I say the word dicey, but at the same time, it's not something to shy away from, right? You know, you want to provoke conversation because these are things that people don't talk about. And so that's why, while it can be um, sensitive, it's also necessary, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, as like um, a Nigerian, growing up, I've like wondered like the difference between African and African-American. Like, do you think there's such thing as talking black? I don't think so. I don't. We like heard that before. I have. I've heard that. I don't think so. I think that you talk the way you talk. You know, accents, they come from, they come from anywhere. I mean, if you are locked up in prison long enough, you're going to build something that comes out of it. So does that mean there's a prison accent? You know, it's, you're just where you're from, where, how you speak, your community, it's how you talk. That's just how you talk. Um, and the hope is we talk for the purpose of communicating. What difference would it make if I said that I was used to saying in my home when I, cause I'm of Haitian background and in my house, we spoke broken English, you know? So my parents would tell me when they get upset with me, in, if I'm in their room, instead of telling me to you know, leave the room, they'll say, go outside. But go outside didn't really mean go outside, literally outside. It was like, go outside the room, you know? And that phrase is, that's just how I would speak. So the question is, when something is not clear, it's as simple as saying, well, what do you mean? Do you mean that? And then it's, and it should be something that's not a big deal because you're communicating. Now, clearly words can get in the way when there are serious conversations that are loaded, but that's what you hope is to say, if you really care enough to understand what I'm saying, you should be caring enough for me to be able to explain it. So yeah, you talk the way you talk. However, there is because of this sort of exclusiveness that people want to say, you're, are you in the in group? Are you part of the clique? Are you part of the, you know, are you, are you someone that we can trust? All these factors are what really creates those barriers of saying that, oh, you talk funny, you talk different. Well, then you're suggesting as someone's an outsider. Yeah. As a, all those are signals and, you know, ways in which you can identify that someone has or has a need or if not is recognizing a superior, you know, superiority complex, if you will, or an inferiority kind of thing, right? They're trying to write, you're trying to delineate the boundaries of where you fit, where a person should fit in, in their mind so they can see whether or not they're a threat or there's someone who they can hang out with, there's someone who's accepted. And these are immature ways of kind of dealing with reality. When really, what really should be the case is, um, is that we ought to be able to have an open-mindedness about the world because we don't know everything about the world, if that makes sense. How we die. How is, what do you have to say for, do you have any words for the black people at Country Day? To black people? For those who identify as black people, who passes oh, black African-American, I say well, I mean, no, I actually understand your question. Um, it's not, um, 
it's not about the actual term of African-Americans or Black. It's really whether or not people identify as such. You know, there are people who would not identify with words like Black American or African-American. Some people say, like, I'm Jamaican. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm, that's what I am. I'm not taking, you know, sides. I'm multiracial. So, there, you know, but for those who fall under the umbrella of a group that has historically been oppressed in a school like, you know, um, like our, in our school, uh, that's largely predominantly white because of its history. And that's just the truth. It's just the history of our school. Um, I certainly would say that there's much to say about feeling lonely and isolated and feeling in, the, you know, a minority in a space like this. But there's two things one has to kind of keep in mind. Being in spaces like a predominantly white space, not just our school, any school, any place that's like that, is making history. It's being a space that we have to be in because we belong. For, but then at the same time, one has to consider the, at, the, at what cost do we, in, you know, do we navigate such a space? You know, there's got to be a sort of, am I compromising myself too much for being in a space like this? For example, hanging out with people who disrespect you, being the object of people who feel like you're the black kid who's here, who's, you know, athletic, not smart, whatever it may be that, you know, these are re real things that happen. And one should not be in a space at the expense of that, at the expense of who you are. So what you have is that, what I say is that I recognize that students of color at a school like ours or just any, any school that's predominantly white, that they balance this struggle of how they feel. You know, like, I want to belong. I got to belong. I'm making differences, you know, here in a school that didn't have people like me. At the same time, I'm not here to also be target of something, you know, the object of someone's interests, the wanting to think, you know, that I'm, a, I'm something that should be like sort of, you know, like, like a teacher to people about race. You know, I'm not to be that. So I think that, there, that I would say is that I recognize there's a real balance, but at the same time that there are people and resources that make it bearable sometimes, not all the time, but bearable for you to go from point A to point B, which is from here to graduation and to go to college. Because you're certainly going to need the resilience to deal with a world that's changing. Um, not all spaces um, have to be threatening. Not all spaces that are predominantly white are not going to have resources. They'll, you'll find resources there. But you don't have to feel that you should not be in a space like a predominantly white space. But you also don't want to sacrifice who you are for any space, if that makes sense. Thank you, Dr. Destin. I'm sure I'm not the only one who's learned from our discussion. You're listening to Pride and Prejudice, a production of the podcast journalism class of KICK at Charlotte Country Day. I'm your host, BK, and I hope you've enjoyed the show so far. But stay tuned as we hear from more students in Dr. Destin's class. We are here with a student in Dr. Destin's African-American history class who would like to share with us their experience in African-American history as a non-Black student. What is your name and what race do you identify as? My name is Kuter Boubert and I identify as an Asian. As an Asian in African-American history, tell me about your experience in the class. 
So what intrigued me first before I came into African-American history class or AFAM uh, shortened is Dr. Destin. He used to be my modern history class and I loved going to his class, particularly because of him. And I wanted to take a class again with him, with, uh, with him being the teacher and also learn a bit more about black culture and black history. Um, being an Asian student, it didn't hinder me from the learning process or anything. As much as anyone who wouldn't know about certain topics about black history. So I was technically just a normal student, although the most of the class was like majority black. Again, it did not hinder my learning process throughout the class. Thank you so much, Q, for your input. Thanks for listening to my show, Pride and Prejudice. I'm your host, BK. And a special thanks to our guest, Dr. Destin, and the students who talked with me today about black history. This is a production of Charlotte Country Day School's podcast journalism class with Kick. We'll see you around Country Day. Happy Black History Month. What does Black History Month mean to you? That's a good question. I got no idea. No idea. Skipping people in the lunch line. Wait, what is this going to? No, no, I don't put that in the... (laughs) It means celebrating our fellow black ancestors who fought for us to be here and just recognizing all of their accomplishments. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. What does Black History Month mean to you? Uh, it means a lot, you know, supporting our black culture and just celebrating it for each other and just taking it all into one. Uh, black History Month is like, you know, the month to show out, you know, it, it's a month for everybody, really. Like, it's not just for black people, you know, it, it's, it's a month to get informed and, and like learn some things that you might not know about. What does Black History Month mean to you? I think it's a great month uh, to celebrate all the individuals who uh, made my life possible, who uh, fought for equal rights, to get rid of segregation, and uh, those people deserve a month to be remembered for all the great things they did. 